Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite and learn some new skills for spiritually conscious living. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today we're going to be looking at some insights and time-tested practices um, that connect to the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Yoga is a familiar Sanskrit word today for many, but not everyone is aware of its philosophy, its root, what it means, um, what it refers to really as bringing um, our attention and our awareness to consciously abide in our essential spiritual nature. Um, that's been described as being restored to our original wholeness. It's really knowing our spiritual nature, realizing it, and then living in harmony with it. And today's topic is so helpful in terms of how to live consciously and um, really be active instruments in um, building a peaceful, contented calm and confident life. And we're going to be looking at the neuroscience of contentment with um, Dr. Rick Hansen about how we can change our brains to experience greater happiness. Rick Hansen is a neuropsychologist and he's the author of the book Buddha's Brain, which many of you have probably heard of, and uh, Just One Thing, also Mother Nature, and the recently published bestseller Hardwiring Happiness. He's the founder of Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and contemplative wisdom and an affiliate of the greater good science center at uc berkeley he's been an invited speaker at oxford stanford and harvard universities and has taught at meditation centers worldwide he has a popular free newsletter called just one thing and a regular blog your wise brain um, at psychology today and huffington post so you can find out more about these resources and more about his work at rick hansen it's that's h-a-n-s-o-n dot net welcome rick i'm so happy to be welcoming you back to the yoga hour today Thank you, Ellen. I'm very glad to be here, and as usual, I can truly feel the kindness in your voice. Oh, thank you. Let's begin um, before we have our conversation, just with a moment of centering, getting ourselves ready to be present and receive more fully. We begin with a moment of breathing, really conscious breathing, just paying attention, noticing 
the breath flowing in, the breath flowing out. And as we do, intending to open our hearts and our minds to divine omnipresence, recognizing what has been called the one reality, the support and the substance of all that is. So right here and right now, in this conscious moment, we can feel our connection to all of life around us, within us, between us, one reality. And with your breath, let your attention move from the periphery of awareness into the depths. So just feel as if your in-breath is supporting you with diving within and connecting to yourself. And your out-breath is a moment of letting go, of just relaxing, being present. In just a moment like this, a moment of conscious breathing, we can begin to touch the peace that is within us and to call it forth in our awareness and to experience it. We take a moment to feel that peace and to feel that calm that's just behind our thoughts, just behind our feelings. Experience it. And then, let's intend to bring that peace forth into our day, into our interactions. And let's share that peace with others. In today's uh, segment with Dr. Hansen, we're going to be really drawing from his new book that is called Hardwiring Happiness, The New Brain Science of Contentment, Calm, and Confidence. And um, I really want to recommend his new book. It is it's very um, user-friendly. And, you know, when we think about brain science, we think, oh, that's going to be dry reading. But <laughs> it's really not at all. It's very friendly and very, very practical. And also for practitioners of yoga and um, religious metaphysics, it, it gives us such an interesting connection between how to understand what, what we study with the nature of the mind and what's going on with the brain. Um, my guru, Roy Eugene Davis, Davis wrote, the easiest way to control and overcome the influences of harmful subconscious inclinations is to nurture feelings of happiness and self-confidence and to intentionally intentionally perform constructive actions. So uh, one tenet of the Kriya Yoga philosophy is that, of course, we understand there are patterns of thoughts and emotions um, that we would say create grooves um, in the chitta or the mental field, like grooves in a road where our attention and awareness then easily returns in kind of an ongoing feedback loop um, to reinforce those patterns, and we call those samskaras. And, um, of course, I noticed so many similarities in reading your book um, from looking at it from the neuroscience perspective about what's going on with these repetitive thoughts and emotions um, that affect our um, brain structure. You you wrote, um, there's a traditional saying that the mind takes its shape from what it rests upon, which is exactly what we learn in yoga, based on what we've learned about experience-dependent neuroplasticity, a modern version would be that the brain takes its shape from what the mind rests upon. So, this is fabulous stuff, Rick. So tell well, us about great, Alan. tell us about this. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. A, 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 I think a good analogy is a muscle. You know, if you work a muscle a little bit, you'll get a little bit of change in it. But if you work a muscle a lot, you'll get a lot of change, maybe for better or worse. 
You know, if you're always sitting hunched over, your muscles will sort of freeze in that position. On the other hand, if you sit up straight and walk around and do yoga, let's say, your muscles will, will change for the better. It's the same with the brain. There may well be, and I think there is, or are rather, supernatural as well as transcendental factors, you know, in reality in a, in a, in a complete sense. That said, inside the, what's called the natural frame, the frame of natural causes, such as muscles getting bigger if you lift weights or go for walks with your dog, uh, inside that framework, the brain is constantly changing its structure and function. It's designed to change. It's supposed to change. That's how we learn. And what that means is that we have this profound power to engage what I call neuro-bhavana. As you know, the word bhavana means <laughs> cultivation. It's not a term that's going to make the bestseller less, trust me, neuro-bhavana. <laughs> but anyway, that's the essence of it. How do you take charge yourself of the structure-building processes of your own brain from the inside out for your own benefit and that of all beings? And that's what my book's about. And um, it really helps us take a look at you know what generally goes on um, and what we need to do is, you know, in terms of changing it. And um, so you help us understand, for example, how we all have a kind of a built-in negativity bias. You know, I remember um, when I learned this about myself, I felt like I was just, um, you know, a particularly flawed human being <laughs> that, I, that I had the way of, you know, looking at the one thing that was wrong in any uh, given situation um, and you know and then reading about that that's a particular bias that we all have was sort of helpful to me and then not only that but learning that there's a way to overcome it so tell us about this negativity bias oh sure and I should say before I go there that it's remarkable that um, there are now thousands probably of studies on humans and, and other animals that show the ways in which the brain or the nervous system in general changes based on our experiences from tiny, tiny, literally molecular or uh, epigenetic processes, epigenetic being the expression of the genes inside the twisted up molecule of DNA that we have in every cell of our body. Um, you know, to larger structural changes. There's a famous saying in neuroscience from the Canadian psychologist Donald Hebb, neurons that fire together, wire together. I'm convinced <laughs> that some grad student someday is going to do a rap song of that, post it on YouTube, you know. Geeks like me will immediately, yeah, go for it. But anyway, I haven't. Nobody's done that yet to my nose. But anyway, neurons that fire together, wire together. Okay, the good news, and I, I bet we'll get into it, is that when you feel in your bones that your basic needs are met for safety, satisfaction, and connection, three broad categories of needs. When you feel those needs are met, the brain and therefore the body defaults to a good place. It's its resting state. I, you know, I and others call it the responsive mode, the green zone. On the other hand, our animal, as our ancestors evolved and the nervous system did evolve over 600 million years, uh, you know, from ancient jellyfish to modern teenagers walking around the streets, um, God help us, um, along that way, our ancestors had to both avoid, you know, quote-unquote sticks like predators or aggression inside their band or between bands, and they had to get quote-unquote carrots like food, etc. Well, the difference is if you fail to get a carrot today, you'll have a chance to win tomorrow. You'll have a chance to get food or a mating opportunity tomorrow, so-called. On the other hand, in the harsh conditions in which animals live and our ancestors evolved, if you fail to avoid that stick today, that predator, that natural hazard, that aggression between bands, what have you, whack, no more carrots forever. So today we have what scientists call the brain's negativity bias. So it's constantly scanning for bad news. You can recognize it in yourself. Uh, then when we see the bad news, the brain over-focuses down upon it and loses the big picture. Then the brain overreacts to the bad news. For example, if you play two sounds for people that are equally loud and one is unpleasant and the other is pleasant, the brain will literally activate more to the unpleasant sound. And then, most relevant for our purposes, the whole package, weak, is fast-tracked into emotional memory. You know, we remember more from pain than from pleasure. We remember negative information about other people more than positive Let's say you're in a relationship with somebody at work or at home, what have you, 10 things happen in a day. 
you know, nine are pleasant, one's unpleasant, nine are positive, one's negative. What's the one you think about when you're falling asleep? It's the negative one. And research shows, for example, that uh, negative interactions in relationships have more impact than positive ones. Uh, And also there are dedicated feedback loops in the brain whereby it sensitizes from our negative experiences using the hormone cortisol. In other words, stress today, especially moderate to severe stress, including getting frazzled or irritated or feeling hurt or let down, Stress today releases cortisol that sensitizes the alarm bell of the brain, the amygdala, and weakens the hippocampus, another part of the brain that puts things in perspective and calms down that alarm bell. That creates a vicious cycle. Stress Mm -hmm. today makes us more sensitive and less resilient, which makes us even more stressed and upset tomorrow, which makes makes us even more reactive and less resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, So the bottom line for me is what are we going to do about it? We've got to take charge of the brain from the inside out. Mm, you know, two things come to mind as I'm and listening to you, Rick, and I, you know, I just uh, came from a, a, a long meditation retreat, and um, one of the participants asked, um, you know, doesn't, why would we want to be free of suffering? Because <laughs> there's a verse in the, in the, in the Yoga Sutra that says, uh, future suffering is to be avoided. And, you know, everybody says, well, yeah, of course, we we all would like that. But so this one participant said, well, you know, doesn't suffering, you know, help us learn? You know, isn't that really how we learn? And, you know, I said, well, yes, it is. But we're in a place where we can recognize that there are lots of other ways we can learn. And, you know, I'm not sure how efficiently we learn from suffering. And so, you know, what you're saying is, yes, you know, we do learn from it, but it tends to then reinforce our view of life and um, actually call forth more suffering. And uh, so this is just, you know, it's so fascinating and so helpful um, for for those of us on the path who are asking those kinds of questions. Um, you know, do yeah. we really have to have suffering to learn? Um, it's part of the picture and what, you know, I think people will find from reading your book, you know, it doesn't, this doesn't take suffering away, um, but it puts it in a different perspective. And uh, one of the things that you note that I also think is important to meditators and, you know, people practicing uh, yoga and other forms of spiritual practice is that awareness is very helpful, um, but it's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's right. Yeah. Well, I, two comments so there really quickly. One, I think there's this kind of, strange cultural theme that, you know, pain is important, it's the most important thing, and happiness is some kind of sentimental foolishness. And besides just not making sense in a common sense kind of way, it doesn't make sense neurologically. First of all, most negative experiences, most unpleasant experiences are pain with no gain. It's just pain. And if there's no shortage of negative experiences. If they were so great, we'd all be looking for more of them. You want some of mine? You know, don't you feel like you don't have enough? You know, walk down the street, you see a lot of stress, a lot of strain, a lot of sorrow. And second, there's always the question. If I think it is true, I think there are some. There is suffering is a part of life. I'm a Buddhist, a first noble truth. There is suffering, certainly. It's not the entirety of life, but it's a real aspect. If we go negative on negative, we just have more negative. And it is true. There's certain lessons that are only learned through painful and pleasant experiences. You know, I've done a lot of outdoor things as well as things in business. And there's certain kinds of life lessons you acquire only through going through the fire. Okay. But think about all the ways we could have acquired those same lessons through uh, positive, pleasant experiences that don't have the innate collateral damage of negative experiences that are by definition unpleasant, uncomfortable, and also stressful, wearing down on the body. And let's be clear, as we'll talk about soon, the primary pathway to growing inner strengths of all sides of all kinds, rather, the cultivation. In other words, the primary pathway to growing compassion, self-confidence, feeling loved, mindfulness, spiritual insight, etc., is to have experiences of those inner strengths, of those wholesome qualities of mind and heart that the brain learns from. You need to have experiences of them to, to build up neural structure. Wholesome traits come from wholesome states. That's the primary pathway of learning. Happiness, fundamentally, is skillful means. So people should not put down or poo-poo the power of ordinary uh, beneficial experiences that are usually enjoyable. That's the primary pathway to growing wholesome qualities in mind and heart. 
and they, so they can be part of our learning and also um, we can use our awareness um, in, in a sense in that sort of positive feedback loop, you know, how we help ourselves um, learn and build these um, positive traits and inner strengths. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Dr. Rick Hansen. His website is net. When we come back from the break, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about positive experiences and um, what that has to do with this idea of hardwiring happiness. Plus, take a look at a formula for the ways that we can do that in our life. We'll be right back with you. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listener support to broadcast the messages of unity to an awakening world. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. available, you pray, the free prayer app from Silent Unity. For more than a century, people from all over the world and all walks of life have turned to Silent Unity. With you pray, our confidential prayer support is easy and convenient to access. With you pray, you can send your prayer directly to Silent Unity. You pray also includes affirmations you can share with family and friends plus audio meditations for your prayer time. For more about the free you pray app and links to download, Visit silentunity.org/app. That's silentunity.org/app. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and we're joined today by Dr. Rick Hansen, neuropsychologist and author of the recently published best-selling book, Hardwiring Happiness, the new brain brain science of contentment, calm, and confidence. And in the first segment, we we were talking about um, the brain and the mind and um, how we learn and um, what the um, value is of experiences that we have and we were talking about um, how we can um, learn from positive things that go on as well as what we would call negative and um, in one of the lifestyle guidelines of Kriya Yoga is to cultivate uh, contentment and it's really um, offered in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra as the key to supreme happiness, meaning happiness that um, isn't fleeting, but is this our ability to cultivate underlying contentment, which I think is right in alignment with this work you're doing. Um, but and this is one of the cornerstones of the practices in your book, where you describe the hidden power of daily positive experiences to change our brain and change our outlook. So tell us a bit about what you mean by 
positive experiences? Sure. Um, first thing I'd, I'd want to say is that a little bit to go back <coughs> pardon me, to the previous point. If we had a friend or a child or a family member or we just saw a face in a crowd, you know, in a newspaper clipping from something, you know, 10,000 miles away, we would naturally wish for those people to be happy in some deep sense that you're describing. And it's very striking to me that we consider it appropriate, skillful, benevolent, you know, enlightened self-interest and so forth to wish for other people to be happy in a true sense, in a deep sense. Yet somehow it's almost culturally a taboo to wish for that kind of experience for oneself. And I think that's, you know, ironic and contradictory and inappropriate. So in that Mm -hmm. context then, um, we, as I said, kind of, you know, neurons that fire together wire together. So to put it a different kind of way, passing states can become lasting traits. We have a brain that's biased toward turning passing negative states into lasting negative traits. In other words, moments of anxiety become a general fearfulness. Moments of irritability with others become an increasingly angry disposition. Moments of feeling let down or hurt or, or uh, unworthy or, or inadequate, moments of inadequacy become a growing internalized sense of worthlessness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Moments of sadness become tilt us increasingly toward depressed mood. That's the bad news. The good news is that moments of uh, mindfulness become uh, a, a deeper quality of mindfulness in general. You know, positive states of compassion become an increasingly loving heart as a trait. So you see this dynamic from state to trait? The problem is if we just have a momentary positive experience, such as, you know, you're, you're nice to me, I feel cared about, or I get something done, or I look outside and I see the hills, you know, through the window I'm looking through right now in Northern California. It's a nice moment. But if I don't take the time, the extra 5, 10, 20 seconds to stay with the experience and also to open to it in my body and let it come into me with a kind of intimacy with myself, that state will pass through the brain with no lasting value. This is the Mm -hmm. dirty little secret in psychotherapy, Mm -hmm. spiritual Mm -hmm. training, mindfulness training, personal practice, coaching, raising kids. I've done it all. If we don't take the time, we don't bring the kind of mindful, wholesome intention to uh, savor our experiences and really register them, they pass through the brain with no lasting value. They're momentarily pleasant, better than a stick in the eye, but there's no learning, there's no gain from the experience. So what I'm very interested in is helping people half a dozen times a day, half a minute or less most in most cases, you know, less than five minutes a day, take that extra dozen or two dozen seconds inside themselves to really let the good lessons land from their meditation or their yoga or their conversations with their friend or listening to Alan, uh, to take that extra moment to let a sense of gratitude for the meal or a sense of connection with another person or a cozy feeling from rubbing a cat or a sense of determination uh, or registering what it really is like to have a conversation to do what it takes to have a conversation go better with your partner. I'm speaking of learning mm-hmm. in the very broadest mm-hmm. sense here. Mm-hmm. How do we steepen the learning curve? Because that's, that's kind of the silver bullet. If you, it's like, you know, if you have money in the bank, uh, what's the growth rate? In other words, what's the, you know, interest rate it's getting? Is it 4% or 3% or 3% or 2%? And that little difference won't matter too much on any single day but you add it up over a month and a year and a decade, your personal growth rate as you go through the day, your average growth rate from your experiences every day is probably the most single, it's the single most important factor in your entire life. You can't do anything about the past. All you can do about something about is your growth rate from here going forward into the future. And there are lots of things you can do, and I know we'll talk about them, to steepen your growth rate from your everyday experiences. I really liked that the verse that you chose to um, put in the front of your book as an inspiration from the Dhammapada, which is, think not lightly of good, saying, it will not come to me. Drop by drop is the water pot filled. Likewise, the wise one, gathering it little by little, fills oneself 
with good. Um, and I and know you, yeah. you ha- have talked about, um, you know, how this uh, wiring in the brain has us yeah. um, have, uh, it's uh, like our good uh, experiences are like Teflon for us and the negative are yeah, like Velcro. Right. And yeah. um, that's, of course, a lovely, helpful metaphor. And um, I, I was thinking about how... When you describe, you know, taking a little bit of time to actually experience um, these positive things, these good things that are going on all the time, but just slip away. Um, and it's really um, like moving, you know, from me, it's, I, I see it as moving from, you know, the head to the heart, if, if, if you can think of it that way, and then bringing it into the body onto an experiential level. So, you know, so much time is spent in our heads. I think just, um, you know, we have an experience, but we're thinking about something else and it's there, you know, in the background. <laughs> and yeah. you talk about bringing it into the foreground of our awareness. And I think the key, which you mentioned in the book, is bringing it into our direct experience. So it kind of, the way you describe it in your book, you know, I had this feeling of um, like our, our good experiences, our positive experiences are like a flower that you support its blooming in the moment. Like it, it blooms, you know, as yeah. you experience it. And and experience is really the key, isn't it? So it's taking it from just, you know, maybe having it sort of mildly aware of it or thinking about it or thought that registered, oh, you know, this is a nice cup of coffee to, you know, yeah. actually actually smelling it, you know, feeling the warmth as you swallow it, you know, and, and just having the whole full experience of it. Is, is that what's going on? That's a great summary. Um, so I would say it in two ways. First, um, as we go through our, our life every day, there are all these moments where we're already having an ordinary positive experience. You know, we're exhaling and there's a relaxing. Um, we're sipping a cup of tea and we feel cozy and comfortable. We get something done, a load of laundry or maybe some project at work, or we're talking with a friend and it feels good with a friend, or maybe we realize something in talking with a friend. There's a kind of opening to a new way of being or some kind of insight, and it's happening. Okay, it's already happening. The question is, right there, where the rubber meets the road, are you going to waste that moment? Or are you going to use it? Are you going to open to it in an intimate, receptive, embodied way to let it land inside you and begin to become uh, encoded into neural structure, woven into the fabric of your brain and your life? So that's the first part. We're already having a good experience. All we need to do is notice it and then register it. In fancy language, uh, from state to trait, means to move from activation to installation. That's the fundamental two-stage process in the neuropsychology of learning. That's how the brain changes. You cannot, traits come from states. If you're not having an experience of something, uh, you can't uh, turn it into any kind of neural structure. But if you fail to install it, if you don't take that extra, you know, dozen seconds or so, um, that momentary experience has no lasting value. Okay. Second, we can create positive experiences, useful experiences. We can, we can look for the good facts around us. Then when we see them, we can help ourselves have an experience and not merely just notice them conceptually or intellectually. And then in particular, once we notice the good fact and have a good experience, we can let it sink in. And we can even use that to grow the particular resources inside ourselves that would most help us these days, maybe with a challenge we're facing or a long-standing psychological issue like a tendency toward anxiety or a legacy of childhood you know, stress or even trauma, or to develop ourselves spiritually. For example, um, you know, there are things I'm working on in my own personal spiritual practice uh, that are like a growing edge for me. Mm-hmm. But I really look for opportunities to have that experience or some supporting factor. And then when I have that experience, don't waste it on the brain help it really sink in like water into a sponge. So that's what I'm really talking about here. It may sound a little complicated. We all know how to do it. Have it, enjoy it. If you have the 
beneficial experience. That's the activation stage. Um, you're having the state. And then if you enjoy it, if you open to it, which is so sweet most of the time, then you are installing it and encoding it in neural structure so it has lasting value for you. Mm-hmm. And then um, this step that you're describing, um, and and they do kind of run together in our experience. You know, you, you've just yeah. sort of slowed, slowed down the movie sort of frame by frame of, right. of what's going on with us. But, but the intentional installing, you know, I, I think is a key that, you know, many of us have not been so aware of, although it's right there in our spiritual practices. You know, for example, when we, when we teach meditation, we say, okay, yeah, you know, you have this experience in meditation, you sit, you meditate, you know, you let the mind settle, you, you know, touch the peace that's within you, the fullness, however you describe that, the wholeness, the sense of well-being. Um, and then yeah. we always, you know, and then we always say, okay, after your meditation, you know, don't just jump up <laughs> and go back to mm-hmm. your emails, but take a few moments after you've exactly. meditated and you've touched that experience to consciously um, bring that into your mind and into your body. And then, you know, sometimes we even say, and, you know, like I, I probably did in the opening today, it's just like, you know, consider taking that into your day with you. So, you know, we yeah. take this intention to install um, these experiences um, that, that we have in a, in a very positive way. Um, and so this is, this is really, we're, we're talking about this um, four-step process that you have in the, in the book that you've used the acronym HEAL. And so yeah. do you want to outline that for us? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so to be clear, I did not invent taking in the good. No one has invented learning, right? What I've tried to do is really synthesize and then in super practical ways, also consistent with my own spiritual interests, in very practical ways, uh, boil a lot of stuff down. So the bottom line, like I said, is that if you want to grow good qualities inside yourself and people listening might think to themselves, wow, what am I helping, what would I like to help to develop inside myself? More happiness, more gratitude, a calmer spirit, uh, more uh, felt sense of the divine, uh, more inner peace, more commitment to your sobriety, more motivation to exercise or not eat so many gelatos or what have you, you know. Hey, what is hey, it you're hey. trying to say? <laughs> or we're joking about traveling in Italy. And I think, you know, go for the gelatos when you're there, definitely. But anyway, my point is, what is it you'd, you'd like to have more of? Maybe just more of a sense of happiness as you move through your life. Okay, fine. So uh, to do that, look for opportunities to start having experiences of that. In other words, have it either because usually you just notice you're already having some kind of beneficial, which means and therefore usually uh, enjoyable experience, or you can do deliberate things to create it. Look for things to feel grateful for or look for uh, evidence that people actually do care about you or look for uh, ways in which you actually are getting things done over the course of the day. Okay, then once you have it, move into the installation phase through enriching the experience. And there are a number of ways to do that. The primary way is to help it last. Don't just jump onto the next thing or let those negative thoughts crowd out something useful in your mind. I use the metaphor of a garden. You know, if you've got a flower beginning to grow, don't let, you know, don't let uh, stones fall down upon it. Don't let weeds crowd it out. Protect that little flower so it can gradually take root in the garden of your mind-brain system. So enriching it, also try to feel it in your body. You can open to it, uh, the experience, and help it become more intense, etc. It's kind of a natural process of, of, of really encouraging and protecting the experience. And then you can turbocharge, uh, you can sensitize your memory-making systems by intending and sensing that the experience is sinking into you, like water into a sponge or, you know, uh, warmth coming into the hands as you hold a cup of hot chocolate. Or you can just simply know that you're giving yourself over to the experience, making room for it inside you, allowing yourself being brave enough to be changed just a little bit by it. That's the basic structure of taking in the good. Have, Mm -hmm. enrich, and absorb, using the metaphor of a fire, 
you light the fire to have the experience in the first place, and then you, in the enriching step, you protect the fire and add logs to it to keep it burning, and then in the absorbing step, you, uh, you know, warm yourself at the fire. Mm-hmm. And then if you want, the optional fourth step is to link the positive experience you're having with something negative, that the positive experience is the natural antidote for. So, for example, you might be aware of feeling cared about in some way, some very ordinary, authentic way. You're included. People see you. They like you. Perhaps they even love you. Okay? And then alongside that, kind of off to the side in the stage of awareness, if you will, off to the wings, you also have a sense, if you want, of maybe not feeling so cared about when you were a child or in a difficult relationship or something happened at work or maybe you're dealing with a challenge today. Since neurons that fire together wire together, if the positive experience is more prominent in the foreground of awareness, it will tend to associate to the negative, gradually soothing, easing it, contextualizing it, bringing wisdom to it, and potentially even replacing it. That gives us the acronym HEAL, Have, Enrich, Absorb, and Link. That is such a powerful um, step-by-step formula. And I think when we come back from the break, we could talk a little bit more about that last part that is optional um, in terms of, you know, you can certainly do steps one through three to strengthen yeah. um, that neural network for positive experience. But with number four, you're talking about how do we, in a, in a sense, how do we transform experiences that we've had in the past? Um, yeah. And so when we come back, we can talk about that. You're listening to the yoga hour uh, with special guest today dr rick hansen his website is rick hansen h-a-n-s-o-n dot net and we'll be right back with you wellness expert dr michelle robin on healthy living in the game of wellness there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's Seven Habits for a Healthy Life. I've got to say my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it, that you don't need anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order wellness on a shoestring today at www.shopunity.org. Ever notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Dr. Rick Hansen, neuropsychologist and author of the new book, Hardwiring Happiness. And um, before we dive into our conversation, I want to say something more about the book, um, which is that, of course, this book is about how to um, develop our brains, how to use our minds to develop our brains to support um, our ability to have inner strengths. Uh, contentment, calm, and confidence. And the thing I want to say about the book is is that it is it's very friendly. It's um, enjoyable to read. And and Rick, I also felt that the way you structured the book was very much in harmony with the um, learning process that you're talking about 
um, throughout the book. So, you know, you have these wonderful sections after each chapter of, you know, sort of taking, taking in <laughs> what you've just taught us. And I thought, oh, this is great. You're mirroring, um, you're mirroring what you're, what you're teaching us. So I found that really supportive, really beneficial. And, and I think uh, the listeners will agree with me when they take a look. So let's go back to where we were in the last segment, looking at this heal process of, of you know, how to um, take in the good, how to um, have our positive experiences bloom so that they begin to um, support uh, the, uh, the inner strengths that we can cultivate. And the last one is to uh, link the positive and negative material, which allows us, um, as I said before the closer, to to transform our past in a sense, um, so that it doesn't continue to have the same negative effect on us. And um, so we're looking at, you know, what would be uh, basically undoing the causes, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's yeah, big. that's a word. <laughs> yeah, that is really big. So. Um... Maybe I'll just, how about we do something experiential? What the heck? This is, uh, this is Kriya Yoga time, right? So, very good. is that okay? Is that okay? Sure. Okay, good. So, Except everybody, nobody have, has to do yeah. this. I was just going to say, we can't have silence, so you'll have to just. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hear you there. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so, we'll do this kind of quickly, and nobody needs to do it. Uh, but the basic idea is a very natural one. For example, uh, we do the linking step with prayer often. You know, we're sharing something difficult with with also alongside it a sense of the divine. Or maybe we're talking about an issue with a friend. We're upset about something. Our friend is caring and supportive. We're linking right there. Okay, linking is natural. What someone might want, could do right now, listening, which is a, perhaps a little artificial, but it's still real once it starts going, is to bring to mind, I'll, I think an easy one is feeling cared about, uh, bring to mind the experience of someone who cares about you. Could be your dog, your friend, your grandmother, guardian angel, group of people, you're calling up and encouraging, you're creating, you're trying to light the fire now, this experience of feeling cared about, even in a very mild or subtle sense, you could put your hand on your heart to strengthen the experience, hand on your cheek perhaps, a very normal human experience of feeling included or seen or appreciated or liked or even loved. And then once you stabilize that experience, and then you keep protecting it, keep it going, know what it feels like to have some aspect of the experience of being cared about, any aspect is okay, it's okay if the relationship's not perfect, you want to help the idea that it's factually true that you're cared about increasingly become an experience, a felt sense in the body be in the area of the heart or an emotion of what it like what it's like to feel liked be increasingly present and then if you want right here we're doing just the first three steps you can also get a sense of absorbing this experience how nice it feels to let feeling cared about sink into you I'm taking some time with it because I'm taking you through it normally we do this 10 20 30 seconds at a time it's about it in the flow of everyday life. But now, moving into the fourth step, if you want, you can see what it's like to have a sense of feeling cared about prominent in the front of your awareness, while off to the side, maybe a sense from the past of feeling left out or not valued or not wanted in some way, not seen. Everybody's had experiences like that, me included. And keep making, keep regenerating the positive experience of feeling cared about, make it stronger and stronger, even with a sense of it rippling out, perhaps, or maybe waves of light. You could imagine that extending out into the negative material where you felt hurt or let down, something painful, something difficult. So that feeling cared about is starting to make contact with those old feelings, even from a current situation, perhaps, of not being cared about. And like a soothing balm, feeling cared about is going into that negative territory, easing it a bit, soothing it. Or maybe there's what feels like a kind of hollow or empty place inside where there's been a longing that hasn't been satisfied. 
uh, and feeling cared about now is going into that hollow place inside, gradually, gently filling it, knowing that in this one practice we're doing, we don't have to cure everything, but bit by bit, synapse by synapse, drop by drop, we're filling the water pot in the heart and filling that hole in the heart that so many of us, me included, have experienced in our lives. Mm. So we did it. A very yes. natural kind of thing. Yeah. And the trick here is to get competent, is to get more and more skillful, if you will, mm. at this mm-hmm. kind of inner alchemy of changing your own brain for the better from the inside out. And one mm. of the nice things about it is, is for me, I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable in the natural frame of brain science and Western psychology. And also, I have a long background in contemplative practice. And the contemplative traditions I know and do include Hinduism, you know, the roots, obviously, of Kriya Yoga. But my main training is in Buddhism. And in that framework, as many people know, the Buddha's model, really, of um, the fundamental processes of suffering and happiness uh, proceeds from the so-called you know, second noble truth, uh, that craving drives suffering, to the third noble truth, that it's possible to end the craving that drives suffering. And in modern, you know, neuropsychological terms, craving is based, is a drive state based on an underlying sense of deficit or disturbance. So if a person repeatedly, you know, I think of 10,000 times, 10 seconds at a time, repeatedly internalizes a felt sense of core needs met, a fundamental sense of safety, satisfaction, and connection, or to put it differently, a fundamental sense of peace, contentment, and love, which might be mild, but it's real in the moment, okay? So repeatedly taking in that good, letting those ordinary moments land again and again and again, so you really internalize the core sense that your basic needs are met. It's not a perfect moment, it's not a perfect world, but there's a basic sense of all rightness inside you. Well, if you do that, you gradually undo, you gradually transform the underlying sense of deficit or disturbance that drives craving, that is fuel, Mm -hmm. if you will, for the fire of craving. So you can gradually help yourself make a transition from that second noble truth of craving to the third noble truth of less craving. It's not enlightenment, but it's a very good support for spiritual Mm -hmm. practice. And to finish up, if you think about the whole wide world, as more and more people have an underlying felt sense of strength and safety or fulfillment and contentment or love and connection with others, that will help us be less easily manipulated by the power, by the forces that make us afraid mm-hmm. and will make us less easily manipulated by consumerism and greed that's driving all kinds of harmful processes, including global climate change, and also will make us less vulnerable to the ancient drumbeat of tribalism, you know, setting us against them. And that's my fondest hope, that long-term, in a generation or two, we can get a critical mass of human brains, you know, resting mostly in the green zone, most minutes of most days, with a fundamental felt sense of enoughness and contentment in the heart, while dealing with the real world. And that could help change the course of human history and help this planet land may have a much softer landing in a generation or two than the one it's currently heading toward. I I so appreciate um, that, Rick, and and this larger vision for your work, and I am completely aligned with it, and yeah. think that it's exactly what's needed. Because if we, you know, we all we all have that, um, you know, we're familiar with that. Be the change, you yeah. know, you want to see. Yeah. But this change obviously has to be a fundamental change um, internally in the way that we experience life and the way that we approach it. And uh, so thank you so much for being with us today and describing you know, how, we can, how we can do that in our own lives and how we can begin to um, make that important uh, shift globally, moving out of lack and, and deficit to um, having the inner strengths that, that really are there for us. They're innate. It's just um, a matter of cultivating them, uh, as you have said, like a garden. 
So yeah. um, thank you, Rick, for joining us. And a reminder uh, to our listeners this morning, you can find out more about Rick Hansen and his work at net. And also, we, um, if you take a look at Yoga Hour archives in May of uh, May 9th, 2013, there's another program with uh, Rick called To Make Big Changes, Start With Just One Thing. So yeah. uh, next week, we're going to continue this series on healing and wholeness with a program uh, Dennis Merritt Jones is is uh, returning uh, to be here again. A program called Redefine Yourself. For more information about Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, visit csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to um, Yoga Hour at iTunes if you haven't already, and please be sure to tell your friends about it through Facebook and all the ways we do that. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then. Remember to cultivate that inner joy, that inner light, and intend to shine it out into the world so that you can share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye, everyone. And thank you again, Rick. Thank you, Ellen. It was very beautiful to be here, and blessings to everybody listening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Examine what it means to be sacred activists in service of compassion and justice. We may find ourselves asking, how do we become a sacred activist? Institute for Sacred Activism founder Andrew Harvey says, follow your heartbreak. His advice echoes Gandhi, who once said, whenever you are in doubt, apply the following test. Recall the face of the poorest and the weakest person whom you may have seen, and ask yourself if the step you contemplate is going to be of any use to them. Will they gain anything by it? Will it restore them to a control over their own life and destiny? So, whenever in doubt about the direction of your life, just ask yourself, what breaks my heart? Whose suffering is simply too much to bear? And then commit your life to alleviate it. Don't turn your face away from the pain and injustice that is so prevalent in our world. Courageously bear witness to it. And in prayer, dedicate your life to healing it. Gain more spiritual insight. Listen to Radical Spirituality and Sacred Activism with Adam Bucko, Mondays at 4 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio.
Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 